we are 514 students. We started with 15 degree programs. As God will have it last year, the National Universities Commission added 10 new degree programs. So now we have 25 degrees. Last year also, we hosted the IBE, International Board of Education. They came from the US. They spent five days with us. After assessing and evaluating all we are doing, they granted us that Clifford University is now listed as a Seventh-day Adventist University. Then another big one, October, November last year, two months, we faced the National Universities Commission accreditation exercise. This university hosted for four days, 54 professors and 13 officials from the National Universities Commission in Abuja. And after their review, as our God will also have it, the 13 degree programs we sent in, the ones we started first with, 12 of them had full accreditation of five years each. And then one had what we call interim accreditation of two years. And we have been officially informed that of all the universities that participated in the accreditation exercise in Eastern Nigeria, that Clifford University had the best result. Do you see them down there? You know, our fees are not much. From 380 to 400,000, it's only nothing. That is about 650,000. That is the governor's bursary. We also have what we call Adventist heritage. If you're a seven Adventist and you are baptized from the second year up, upwards till you graduate, 30,000 naira. That takes off from your second year here. We have started our work study program and it's coming up fine. Then Canvas, two years ago, I invited the director of publishing of our division in Abidjan, Pastor Abraham Obaya. He came here. And uh, with uh, Pastor Unata, they trained our students in canvassing, summer canvassing. That's how many of us now I'm seeing some on the screen who did very well in canvassing while they were in Aswa. Also, as our God will have it, of all those that went to canvass last year, Throughout the five universities within our division in West Africa, a student from Clifford University by name, Precious Alozier, had the highest deliveries of 1.8 million 
Naira. I was almost tempted to say dollars, but I remember that I'm still here at here, here in Nigeria. No dollar yet, my friends. That was the highest deliveries of any student of all those that went for canvas. One thing unique with this university is that there are courses we do here that you cannot do in any other university in Nigeria. We have a course, marital enrichment and success in marriage. You know, by God's grace, I have been a family life counselor licensed at the state of Michigan when I was there on sabbatical, 2004. And I have done this course around the world. And so here now, and I told myself that I have to teach this course. And I have taught this course in the past four years. You don't need only to succeed in business, succeed in politics, succeed in private enterprise. You also need to succeed in your home, in your marriage. I've been teaching that course here by God's grace. There's also another course. Leadership, principles, and practice. I developed the curriculum with uh, Dr. Casey K11. Even now, as a commissioner for education for Abia State, he comes here every Thursday and Sundays to teach this course for us. By next year, by God's grace, we'll be facing a visitation, nursing and midwifery council of Nigeria will be coming here. That's why we are appealing to our brothers and sisters in the diaspora to help us to get a modern nursing laboratory here in this campus. We are also planning to start off law program here. There's also a program we want to start off a few years from now. As we plan to go into medicine, a committee is working on that. I have seen on the screen, Dr. Imo is a key member of that committee and they are doing a very good job. Keep praying for us, keep supporting us. Some of you are vastly for same students here. Some of you are paying fees of some of our students. I tell you one thing, it shall be well with you in Jesus' name. There is something like a culture, a tradition that I have developed of late. That is the only way I am invited to speak. I spend a few minutes to commiserate and condole with brothers and sisters who have lost their ones to the cold hands of death. The pandemic came and did a lot of havoc. There was a time here in Nigeria in our church we were praying constantly for our people in New York because New York was very hardly hit by the pandemic. Apart from that, there are deaths here and there. You go to some of our communities, you can get to a village and you see two or three corpses for burial. Every body, every day, deaths here and there. In fact, as I talk to you, I'm also talking to myself because this passing July, 
I lost my dear mother to the cold hands of death. And on that day, I could understand how painful death could be. Children of God, one of these days, death itself will die. Death will be arrested. Death will be prosecuted. We will ask death, where is your power? Where is your greatness? Where is your state? Death will not be able to speak. Why? Because death has been swallowed up in victory. Hallelujah. Until the episode in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 55 takes place. My dear friends, it is true that death, sicknesses, unemployment, barrenness, problems in the home, divorce, separation, hardship, no money, bills are mounting, troubles will pass through the night. But I tell you, on the authority of the word of God, joy will come in the morning. And when that morning comes, I tell you, it shall be good morning to all the sons and daughters of God. Let us pray. Father divine, I hold in my hands your word. I pray, Father, that you use your word now to save lives. Use your word, Father, to draw all of us to the foot of the cross. From your word, may we test you, and afterwards, may we have testimonies of your goodness. Thank you for hearing us. Thank you for doing for us far exceedingly, abundantly more than we have requested. As long as we have prayed in Jesus' name, amen. My dear friends, life is a game of encounters. To be alive means you are having some encounters here and there. In the family, there are encounters with children, with fathers, with mothers, brothers, sisters, uncles, nephews. Life is a game of encounters. In the school, there are encounters with teachers, students, workers, even with visitors. In the church, there are encounters. Committees, the pastors, the elders, superintendents, the cashiers, the treasurers. Every day we live to have encounters with people at the workplace, with the supervisors, with the fellow staff, with the manager. Life is a game of encounters. And how are these encounters? Some of them are good. Some of them are very interesting. Some of them very encouraging, very uplifting. Some very challenging. Some very stressful. Some full of anxiety. Every day we live, there are encounters with some other people. But I tell you something. A Christian is someone who has had an encounter with Jesus Christ and in the process, 
the person gets his life or her life changed for the better. If anyone be in Christ, he is a new creature. Behold, the former things have passed away and the new life have come to stay. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17. Each of us must have an encounter with Jesus Christ. It does not matter what. Whether you are black or you are white, you are fat or thin, you are tall or short, you are a man or a woman, you are a boy or you are a girl, you are rich or poor, or do I say you are a Democrat or you are a Republican, each of us must have an encounter with Jesus Christ. We must stand at an attention and explain the encounter, the relationship we had with the person of Jesus Christ. But somehow, there are only two places, only two places where each of us we have an encounter with Jesus Christ. It is either you encounter him today that is sitting at the mercy seat at the heavenly sanctuary pleading for you, pleading for me. If we fail to receive him now and have encounter with him, the next place we have encounter with Jesus Christ will be at the judgment to all. Because the same Jesus pleading for us, the moment he leaves the mercy seat at the heavenly sanctuary, he's coming to the earth for the final judgment of the world. My prayer is that you and I, we have an encounter with Jesus now that he's sitting at the mercy seat. Do you say amen? There is an interesting encounter recorded for us in one of the Gospels. It has to do with a blind beggar. You know that of all physical deformities, blindness is the worst. It is said that heaven helps those who help themselves. Then my dear friends, when you are born blind from birth, it seems to me that heaven will have to help those who cannot help themselves. You know, today the United Nations, they've seen that there are many of these physically challenged people with physical deformities. And in one of their meetings, they passed a resolution calling on all the nations of the world to offer gainful employment to these disabled, physically challenged individuals so that they don't die or suffer so much through no fault of theirs. You see, in the world, if you are blind, your problems are somehow limited. When you can see, one of the things you will see will be your problems. And when your spiritual eyes are opened, then you can see the sinfulness of your sins. This was the state of the blind man in John chapter 9. 
John Pay saw that apart from being blind, this man was also a beggar. And you know that Mr. Beggar has no townsman. You hardly see somebody telling you that, ah, that beggar is my brother, is my cousin, or is my uncle. A beggar by the roadside has no townsman. But if it's a senator, a commissioner, a director, or a manager, a bank manager, ah, everybody will identify with him. People will tell you, in fact, we attended the same school. We were in the same university. If you get to my village, you go straight. The first compound on the route, that's why we call, we are all from the same place. But if the man is blind and is a beggar by the side of the road, you see him, you just do as if you don't even know where he comes from. Mr. Beggar has no house man. This man was a beggar and he was blind. You can conclude that he was socially maladjusted. Professionally, he scored zero, no profession. Psychologically, he had a very low self-concept. He wanted nothing. Personality-wise, oh, my dear friends, he had a dilapidated ego. But religiously, he had faith in a Jesus that is mighty to say, do you say amen down there, my friends? John records the narrative for us in John chapter 9. Some time ago, I did a personal study on the book of John. And one of the things I discovered was that the book of John, you can see a congregation of one person. Big church, big congregation. But when you get close, when you get to the place, only one person is involved. In fact, it is a concept that started in the Garden of Eden. Mama Eve, filled with the Spirit, was the first to preach to Lucifer. It was a congregation of one. Eve was the very first person to say, Thus says the Lord. A congregation of one person. In John chapter 1, you hear of the voice of one crying in the wilderness, preparing the way of the Lord and make his paths straight. It was the voice of John the Baptist. It was a congregation of one. Later on in John chapter one, you see Jesus in an encounter with a man called Nathaniel. Jesus told him of angels that ascended to heaven with her prayers and supplications, and then descended with the blessings of the Lord, so that your hands and my own hands are filled with the blessings of God. It was a congregation of one. In John chapter 3, at the foot of Mount Olives, another congregation, one person was involved. His name was Nicodemus. Jesus preached the new birth to him. It was a congregation of one. In John chapter 4, at Jacob's well, Another congregation of one. 
There you see the woman of Samaria. Jesus told her that God says spirit, and those that worship him will worship him in spirit and in truth. It was a congregation of one. In John chapter 8, another congregation of one. Here you see the woman caught in adultery. When the multitude of accusers have left one by one, it remained only the woman and Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, Woman, neither do I condemn thee. Go, 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 and sin no more. It was a congregation of one. In John chapter 20, you meet another congregation of one. Here you are introduced to Mary Magdalene. When other people have left one after the other from the grave of Jesus Christ, Mary Magdalene lingered on, acting like a security guard for the grave of Jesus Christ. And Jesus manifested himself to Mary Magdalene. And throughout all history, Mary was the first to preach the risen Savior. It was a congregation of one. What do we learn from it? Friends, tenth evangelism is good. Ten weeks, non-stop preaching that many of us do, that is good. District-sponsored, church-sponsored evangelism, that is good. But then, never you forget one-to-one -one evangelism. You are colleagues in the office. You are friends in the neighborhood. People that come across your way, your business, have you introduced your Jesus Christ to them? You can be a channel through which such people will get to know Jesus, whom to know is eternal life. And so here we are in John chapter 9. Jesus had this encounter with this blind beggar. At first, in John chapter 9, verse 2, the disciples of Jesus wanted to draw him into a very serious scientific research. They told him, Master, this man was born blind. Who was at fault? His mother or his father? Because at that time, there was the belief that when somebody is born deformed, it must be due to the sin of the parents. And so the disciples of Jesus wanted to know from him whom to hold responsible for a man that was born blind. What happened to the genetic makeup that this man came to the world completely blind? Jesus told them to keep quiet. There are a lot of things that cannot be explained by biology and chemistry. By the way, can man by searching find out the deep things of God? No way. The man was on duty begging. Jesus was on duty performing miracles, healing the sick, teaching and preaching repentance. The mind of Jesus was filled with how to help this man now on this Sabbath day, help the man to regain 
his sight. John chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. This is the text that qualifies Jesus as the first pharmacist that ever existed in the whole world. John 9, 6 and 7. Here Jesus produced drug and used it to kill the man of his eyesight. The Bible tells us that Jesus made a clay, like tablets, with spittle and anointed the man's eyes with it and told the man, go to the pool of Siloam and wash your face. Wash out this drop. Wash out this clay made with spittle. Remember I told you the man had faith? He believed Jesus. He went to the pool at Siloam, washed his face, and that was it. The man regained his sight. Hallelujah, children of God. Now the man could see. He could see the clouds. He could see the green vegetation. He could see Mount Olives. He could see the temple at Jerusalem. He could see the city gates. He could see the traffic. Now the man can see the Sea of Galilee. He could see Jesus Christ, the Son of God. To God be the glory, great things he has done. Do you say amen, my friends? My Christian friends, this recovery of sight was an introduction to the man's problems. I've told you, when you are blind, your problems are limited. When your eyes are open, you can then see your problems. The news went far and near. Those that knew the man as a beggar, they were wondering how he had regained his sight. And in the process, the Pharisees got to know what had happened. They got to know of the miracle. And friends, who is a Pharisee? A Pharisee is anybody that tells you that you cannot make it in life. That's a Pharisee. A Pharisee is anyone that tells you that you are not a candidate of heaven. That's a Pharisee. God so loved the whole world, including you and I. If anyone tells you that you are so bad that Jesus cannot forgive you, and you cannot make it to heaven, that person is a Pharisee. A Pharisee is anyone that tells you that you cannot survive in life. Looks at you, he tells you, as far as you are concerned, no way. That's a Pharisee. In family life counseling, when young people come to me to complain that their parents have rejected their fiancé, their suitor, and so on, I used to plead with them to take it easy. Because when it comes to family life, parents operate like Pharisees. Parents see far. A Pharisee is somebody that sees far. Pharisee. They are seeing far. 10 years, 15, 20 years to come. There are things your parents are seeing that you cannot see now because of your age and experience. Parents are Pharisees. They see far. 
when it concerns the marriage of their children. Christian friends, I could see this man very soon being brought to face the miscellaneous offenses tribunal to answer questions on three issues. One, who gave you your sight? Two, why will you receive your sight on the Sabbath day? Don't you know you are to remain blind until the Sabbath is over? Then you can talk of sin. Three, how did he do it? Explain how he did it. My dear brothers and sisters, this former blind man was hanging, hanging between heaven and earth, hanging between life and death, hanging between joy and sadness, hanging between blindness and recovery of sight. On one hand, he had to really get prepared he was happy that he had regained his sight. On the other hand, he has to plan to face the Sanhedrin Council. Oh, if he had remained blind, perhaps, it would have even been a little bit better for him. And so we are the man works. Question one, tell us what happened. The man said, a man called Jesus gave me my sight. Question two. Who is this Jesus? Is he not that sinner from Galilee? The man said, no, he is not a sinner. He's a prophet. He's a good man. He is the child of God. Amen? They got in a point of order. Keep calm. Jesus could not be the son of God because he broke the Sabbath. He gave you your sight on the Sabbath day. Withdraw that statement. Christian friends, at this time, the man got to know that his work before the Sanhedrin was to help condemn Jesus so that Jesus could be arrested. But the man maintained his ground. Jesus was a prophet. Jesus was a good man. Jesus was a child of God. Oh, yes. To the name, Jesus said, rise up and walk. To the blind, Jesus said, receive your sight. To a woman with the issue of blood, Jesus said, your faith has made you whole. Go in peace. To the demon possessed, Jesus said, come out of him and enter him no more. He saw a group of sheep coming. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd going to raise Lazarus from the dead. Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. And he preached on saying, I am the resurrection and the life. If any man believeth in me, though he dies, yet he shall live. Hallelujah. While we were yet sinners, Jesus died for us. His name shall be called Emmanuel which means God with us. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And he promised, saying, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for my yoke is easy 
and my burden is light. Do you say amen? Oh, my friends, what a friend we have in Jesus. Everywhere he went, he was doing good. Almighty healer, he cleansed the lepers. When the cripples saw him, they started walking. Everywhere he went, he was doing good. Oh, if God is for us, who can be against us? No way, no problem will overcome us. Whether in all the issues of life, you and I, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. In Philip the first person, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Face to face with a storm on the Sea of Galilee, Jesus said, Peace, be still. Explaining the new birth experience, he said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that the soul that believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. Hallelujah, somebody. And if the son shall make you free, then you shall be free indeed. In trying to explain his preeminent nature, Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. And because of this, in the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. At one time, he gathered his disciples together. And he said to them, friends, we are now going to Jerusalem. Jerusalem had functioned as a place of peace for me. Jerusalem, city of peace. That's what it means in the Greek. It has been a city of refuge for me. But now Jerusalem is going to be a zone of death, zone of danger, zone of destruction for me. The disciples were getting somehow discouraged that Jesus said, oh no, all these things I have told you that in me you might have peace. In the world you will have tribulations. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. And because I've overcome the world, you too will overcome. And this is why there is no weapon fashioned against a child of God that we want. Rather, God, through Jesus Christ, will intervene to bring deliverance and salvation. There was a meeting held in heaven, and the question was asked. Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? It was Jesus that answered, Here I am, O Lord, send me, and she shall bring forth a son. And thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. So at the fullness of the time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under sin, so that you and I, we may receive adoption as sons and daughters of God. So he came, he was born, he grew, he started his ministry, healing the sick, opening blind eyes, delayed walking, preaching, praying, counseling, 
Raising the dead, oh my Lord Jesus did a lot for humanity. At the point he was arrested and tried and crucified and then lay in the grave. And in the grave, Jesus said, and I, if I be lifted up from the grave, I will draw all men to myself. And on the third day, Jesus rose from the grave. He rose from the grave, my friends. And on top of the grave, Jesus recited Revelation chapter 1, verse 18. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of hell and of death. He has a man. So who is this Jesus? We have had you. Who is this Jesus? The man said he's a prophet. So child of God, at this point, the Sahindrian council, they were kind of getting confused, not knowing again what to do with this man. In John chapter 9, verses 18 and 19, they invited the parents of the man, told the parents to come for what the legal experts we call cross-examination. They told the man to step aside. Here the parents were so that questionings will begin. They asked the parents, this is your son. The parents said, yes, this is our son. He was born blind. That's true, you are correct. He was born blind. He was a beggar. Sure, he was begging. But now we can see his eyes. Yes, you are correct. His eyes are working now. Now, tell us what happened. You know, let us know what really took place. The parents said, ask him. He is of age. He is old enough to tell you what happened to him? Children of God, when the going got very tough, a unique opportunity for these parents to testify of Jesus Christ was lost. Let me tell you something right quickly. God will create open up opportunities for you to testify of Jesus Christ. It can be in your office. It can be your own. It can be on the pulpit. It can be while you are leading out in the program in the church. It can be among your business colleagues. Even when you are together with your friends and family members. It can be in the community or in the neighborhood where you live. Opportunity will come for you to send Jesus Christ to someone. I pray that when such a chance comes, that you will not miss the opportunity in Jesus' name. Next, the man was brought forward again so that the interrogation will continue. In verse 24, John 9, 
since the man had solidly maintained his ground that Jesus was a prophet, a child of God, good man, they warned him seriously and angrily. They warned him never to speak again in that name. Just go home. Don't talk again about Jesus Christ because Jesus is a sinful sinner. Don't proclaim about him again. Then you hear the testimony of the former blind man. Where we took a scripture reading. John chapter 9 verse 25. The man said, whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. But one thing I know, whereas I was blind, but now I see. Testimony of a blind man. One thing I know, one thing I'm convinced of, one thing I am sure of, one thing that is in my mind, one thing I know, whereas I was blind, but now I see. Test and see that the Lord is good. You test Jesus Christ, you will have a testimony. And so my prayer today, my dear friends, is that as you go to Jesus in all humility, in all sentiments, and after your encounter with Jesus Christ, after you have tested him, tested the Savior, you will come back with a testimony to tell. Whereas I was sick, but now Jesus has granted me healing. Whereas my marriage was in trouble, we were on the verge of divorce, Jesus has entered into my home, and now there is peace in my heart. Test for testimony. Whereas my business was not doing well, Jesus has come into my business, I pray to him, and now my business is booming like a cannon. Praise be to him. Whereas I was not doing well in my academics at school, I pray to the Lord to renew my wisdom. Now my GPA, my performance has been enhanced. Whereas I have been sick, but now Jesus has touched me, he has made me whole. Whereas things have become difficult for me and my family, Jesus has opened the windows of heaven, he has poured his blessings on us, and we are getting on well. Whereas I was blind, but now I see. Hallelujah, somebody. At this hour, we are going to pray. I think uh, the Benizikon is around in the church. I have seen him. Brother Benizia, you are going to pray at this hour. Four of us that are listening at this moment. That we have a testimony. That we test our God. That we go to him with whatever problem we have. He will minister to us. We will have an encounter with him. And we will come back to testify of the goodness of the Lord. 
Are you with us? Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this opportunity that you have given to us today. We thank you that it has pleased you to keep our lives even up until this time. We thank you even for bringing us into the 11th month of this very difficult and strange year. We say, Moana and glory just be ascribed unto you, given to your magnificent name. Father in heaven, we thank you for the message of the hour. We thank you for the encouragement. We know that this message has not come from man, but it has come through you, from you. And we thank you for your servant, your manservant, whom you have used as your vessel today to give us and deliver this message. We praise you and say, Moana and glory be unto your name. We pray, dear Father in heaven, that you continue to bless him in his ministry. We pray, O oh Lord, that you continue to give him the wisdom and the direction he needs, even as he leads a school that is building and growing young men and young women who will go out and proclaim your message to the world. We pray, O oh Lord, that you continue to be with him and all of his staff, all of the teachers, all of the lecturers, all of the students, everyone involved in Clifford University, that you, dear Father, will continue to lead and control and guide and direct. We pray, O oh Lord, that your anointing upon him will not cease, your anointing upon his family will not cease, dear Father in heaven, and that he and his, all those who are working with him, the entire school, Lord, will go from grace to grace, will go from strength to strength, will go from glory to glory. We thank you, dear Lord, for the message of this particular hour, this message that reminds us that an encounter with you, an encounter with you, dear Lord, is something special. It is something different. And so, Father in heaven, even as that blind man met you and was able to testify that one thing he knew, he was blind, but now he could see. Lord, we are praying that this will be our experience in Jesus' name, that every one of us, even under the sound of my voice this afternoon, dear Father in heaven, the 7th of November, 2020, that even as we come to you with our different issues, our different challenges, our different struggles, that you, dear Father, even as you listen from heaven on high and hear our prayers, that you will answer them and that you will give us each a testimony, dear Father in heaven, and that we will not be like the nine lepers who forgot to come back and thank Jesus, but we will be like the one leper who was healed, who remembered where his healing had come from and that we will take the testimony that you will place in our lives and we will go out and we will share this testimony without shame and we will be careful to give you all the honor and glory. And so, Father, even as I pray this afternoon, there are so many on this call who have one thing or the other that they have brought before you time and time and time again. I pray, dear Father in heaven, that in your mercy, that you will hear and answer our prayers in Jesus' name. That on this day, Lord, we will erect a memorial. We remember how the children of Israel, as they went from place to place, when you worked wonders in their lives, they would erect a memorial. My own name comes from that. I pray in the name of Jesus that on this day, that we will erect a memorial for recognizing and saying on this day, you came through for us and you answered our prayers and you gave us testimony. 
you gave us a song. Father in heaven, we are coming to you to taste. We believe that we will see as well. Thank you, dear Lord, again for hearing our prayer. Again, Lord, we commit Professor Omon into your hand and his family yeah. and his staff. We pray, O oh Lord, that you continue to bless them and guide them. We thank you. We thank you for your love for us that knows no bounds. Hear and accept our prayer this afternoon. Look beyond our sin. Look beyond our shortcoming. May the blood of Jesus Christ cover us all. For we have prayed in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Is the face that I see in the mirror the one I want others to see? Do I show in the way that I walk in my life the love that you've given to me? My heart's desires to be like you in all that I do, all I am. Do they see Jesus in me? Do they recognize your face? Do I commune? your love and your praise. Do I reply who you are in the way I choose to be? Do they see Jesus in
Thank you. 